0: Welcome to episode number 109 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book called Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every episode. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. Now here's a short preview of this episode in which I'll be speaking with Nils Gransberg on topics related to construction engineering.
1: The difference in the understanding of roles between the architect, CM, and owner, and there's a real, a real gap. In the level of definition that you see between the owner and CM and the architect, I did some interviews and you know I've done some analyzed some contracts, and the the common theme is that there's a lot a very high level of definition when it comes to the responsibilities of the construction manager and to the owner, but there's a very low a much lower level of definition when it comes to the architect, you know the design contracts.
0: My co-host Chris and I both believe that in order to be the best civil engineer you can be, you must consistently get better. Get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we publish this free podcast to help you do just that. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, you'll be listening in on a conversation between myself and Nils Gransberg. On the topic of construction engineering, Nils works as an owner's project manager for capital projects at the University of Oklahoma Architectural and Engineering Services. His department is responsible for $1.28 billion of estimated cost of capital projects on all three campuses. He also teaches as an adjunct in their College of Engineering. He received a Bachelor's of Science in Construction Science from the University of Oklahoma and his M.S. in Geological Engineering at the Missouri School of Science and Technology. Prior to returning to Oklahoma in 2014, he spent 14 years in the United States Army Corps of Engineers, where he managed the full spectrum of tactical infrastructure and MILCON construction projects in the United States and Afghanistan, retiring in January 2014. And we really dive into that in this episode in terms of the difference of construction and civilian projects versus projects in the military and how when you're out there in the field, the real field, the battlefield, things are much, much different. I also want to mention that Nils is also one of the instructors for ASCE's Construction Engineering Certificate Program. And thank you to ASCE for connecting me with Nils to have him on the podcast. You can check out that program on ASCE's website or simply Google ASCE's Construction Engineering Certificate Program. Before we get started, this is a free show, and our sponsors help us keep it free, so please support them. Now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, by reminding you to listen up later on in this podcast for my advice on how to advance your career. I'll be sharing info on where to find practical tips and time-tested resources for your civil engineering licensure exam including an exclusive 20% discount available only to our listeners. Don't miss it. I also want to mention real briefly that at the Engineering Management Institute, one of the things that we specialize in is building custom training programs for small to mid-sized civil engineering firms. There's way too much valuable information out there for you to be sending your engineering managers to can trainings where they go somewhere, they take something, and they try to go back to their desk and implement it. It's almost impossible to do. Rather, invest your money in a tailored program. We do a very simple assessment across your staff. We understand what their skill set gaps are. We understand what their learning preferences are. And we can craft a program that has both live and on-demand options to really help them take what they've learned and implement it and transfer it back to the job so it benefits the company's bottom line and it benefits the professional. These programs are great tools for recruitment, for development, and for attention. So if you're interested, please give us a call at 201-857-2384. Again, that's 201-857-2384 and we could talk to you about our assessment process. All right, now let's dive into our civil engineering conversation of the week with Nils Gransberg. Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: Civil Engineering Podcast.
0: All right, now I'd like to welcome Nils Gransberg onto the Civil Engineering Podcast. Nils is a project manager at the University of Oklahoma's Capital Projects Unit and also an adjunct professor in the College of Engineering. Nils, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for uh, having me on today.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Nils. I mean, we're going to talk about construction, which is part of civil engineering, right? People design projects. We actually need to build them. And having civil engineers involved in that is really important, which we will get into. But before we go there, Nils, obviously I introduced you with your bio, but in your own words, you've had kind of some varied experiences. Maybe you could just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your career trajectory to date.
1: I actually have kind of a, a non-traditional career path. I started out in the Army as an enlisted soldier. I enlisted at the age of 20 in the Army Engineers as a bridge crew member. And I used the GI Bill to go to college, and I earned a a construction science degree here at OU and uh, went back into the Army Corps of Engineers as an officer, where I served primarily in tactical construction units, managing tactical infrastructure projects, pretty much that run the whole gamut of horizontal and vertical fields. We built everything from roads and bridges to troop bed down areas, headquarters, forward operating bases, fuel points, water points, you name it. After 14 years, the Army said, uh, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And I was fortunate enough to get a a medical retirement. And I came back to Oklahoma and got a job working as a construction engineer in a midstream natural gas company. That was a fairly short job. Uh, The company got bought out. And I was fortunate enough to be able to stay in town, and I got, uh, came to work here at the University of Oklahoma, where I have managed primarily sports-related projects. We did a $7 million infrastructure program over at the golf course, and then also uh, worked as a construction administrator on uh, some fairly large uh, dormitory projects here that have just recently wrapped up. and. One of the things that I'd always wanted to do, though, was get into uh, teaching and uh, doing research. I was always fascinated with that. My father actually is a uh, retired Army engineer officer and an academic. He's just retired from Iowa State and is working full time as a consultant now. So I started adjuncting here at the College of Engineering last year and uh, started on a Ph.D. this summer. So it's been a fun ride. Uh, I'm a busy guy. I've got like four jobs. But, you know, fortune favors the bold.
0: Congratulations to you on, on being able to put all this stuff together and thank you for your service. Of course, I want to dive into that a little bit more because I think there's probably some interesting experiences in terms of construction and what you had to deal with there. But before we get into all that, Nils, let's just start with the discipline of construction engineering because it is an incredibly important sub-discipline of civil engineering. And for those listeners not even familiar with what that is, what is a construction engineer? What is construction engineering? Maybe you could just kind of talk about that a little bit first.
1: Construction engineers are civil engineers that have uh, been received the education that equips them with all of the project management and administration tools that you wouldn't normally receive in a traditional engineering degree. So your construction engineers, they know how to schedule, estimate, know how to negotiate contracts, and also understand some specialties within construction itself like, uh, you know, construction equipment management and uh, managing subcontractors. The thing that makes it a really valuable discipline is that it combines the skills of a trained engineer with the skills of a trained construction manager. And you see, you know, other construction management programs around the U.S. uh, You can get, you know, like my undergraduate was in construction science, but uh, they don't have nearly as rigorous Education, when it comes to engineering design work. When you have an engineer who is, you know, essentially an engineer as manager or engineer as leader within an organization, they have a better understanding of the complexity of the work, the constraints, and then the different sort of things that you need to worry about, you know, especially if it's something like uh, concrete. Everybody who's a civil engineer knows all about concrete, but, uh, you know, not necessarily if you come from a different discipline.
0: I think the one thing that I just want to kind of drive home on this topic, which I think is important, is we learn a lot of things in school as civil engineers. And even like Neil said, you learn about concrete, you take a concrete course, you do concrete calculations. But really, in my opinion, there's nothing like learning it when you're out in the field and when you're seeing these things being constructed, you're seeing these things being built, and you're really seeing real-life problems in the field when something doesn't work, something doesn't match, something doesn't mix, right? Or whatever the case may be. And you have to try to solve that. And you're in a high pressure situation, which I think is is something to be said for that. And I think those of you out there that are listening, you may not be a full-blown quote unquote construction engineer. You may be a design engineer, but if there's access to construction sites and you have the ability to do inspections and to somehow engage with the construction engineers or managers I highly recommend that you urge your company to allow you to do that because it's going to make you a much more well-rounded civil engineer, which is really going to help you. And one thing I'll mention real quickly is that Mills is also one of the instructors for ASCE's Construction Engineering Certificate Program, which is a course that you'll be able to develop some of the skills that we're talking about here. And we'll link to that in our show notes. But there are ways to learn these skills. Obviously, getting out in the field is is one of the best of them. But I just don't want to kind of underscore that. I think it's a really important point. Have you found that to be the case, Nils?
1: Absolutely. One of the great things about being an engineer is it teaches you how to think. One of my professors told me that when you're, being an engineer is not all about memorizing information. It's being able to take a look at problems, understand what needs to be leveraged to solve those problems, and then being able to find the information, manipulate the math, and produce those solutions. You know, I mean, engineers are problem solvers, and construction engineering is a small field, but you know, it's one of those things where you may have come out of a traditional civil engineering program, or maybe you're a mechanical engineer or electrical engineer, and it's those are skills that you can develop. One of the things I like about my job is it gets me out of the office. I like to be able to get out on the on the field, on the job sites, and uh, you can develop your skills as a engineer leader and manager that will increase your value to your company and to the teams that you work on.
0: So Nils, let's dive a little bit more into your career. You mentioned PhD, which is not always a common term for civil engineers. I mean, I know there are civil engineers who have PhDs, but there are not a ton of them. Talk to us about that decision for you. What made you want to do that and what you're getting into with your PhD?
1: I actually was really fortunate when I was promoted to captain. I I got to go back to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, to the engineer schoolhouse, and uh, they have a program with the University of Missouri Rolla, where I was able to earn a, a master's degree in geological engineering. And getting that experience with a master's degree after having spent several years working as an engineer was just, I really got a lot out of it. It really made me a better engineer, made me, you know, more capable professional. That was kind of the first step towards me getting this PhD. Now, it's been something that I've played around with the thought of for a long time because I really love people and teaching and academia is a great way to be able to invest in other people in a very tangible and very direct way. And, you know, here in my current position, I had an opportunity to take some classes on campus, I work on campus, and to study topic that is going to be beneficial for my current employer and hopefully as well as, you know, increasing the knowledge of uh, negotiated bids and specifically construction manager at risk procured projects.
0: So different like delivery processes for projects.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm, I do consider myself a construction engineer is that construction engineers deal with a lot about how do we go about building the buildings? How do we go about making the construction project, taking it from the plans to completion? I've worked at, you know, on the owner's side for the majority of my career. And one of the things that you always kind of deal with is which sort of delivery method do you choose to use for your projects? And, you know, you have limitations, legal limitations imposed by the state or the federal government, depending on who you're working for, that that limit those procurement methods. But here in the state of Oklahoma, we're able to do some uh, uh, quality-based selections, specifically construction manager at risk, as well as a traditional design bid build. The idea really behind construction manager at risk is you have a fast project. You have a project that you have a, a hard deadline on. You have a general idea about how much money you want to spend on it. And to reduce the amount of changes that result from omissions and errors and misunderstandings within the plans between the the architect and the construction manager, you bring the construction manager in early to provide pre-construction services, and they become a partner of the designer as opposed to a design build where it's actually antagonistic situation where a lot of times the owner will pit the designer against the builder. Topic of my research is I am quanti- or qualifying the perceived understanding of roles and responsibilities between the architect, the CM, and the owner. And it's interesting for my committee that I'm doing a lot of qualitative-based research as opposed to quantitative research, which is what you typically see within engineering PhDs. But the thing you find in instruction is it's very difficult to produce a statistically significant population sample because projects differ so much. I mean, you have the varying scope, you have varying contractors, uh, legal situations. You also have to worry about the labor market, the construction market, and then of course, location, because anybody who's read an RS means manual knows that uh, you got to adjust for location.
0: Gosh, I just had a flashback.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What makes it important is that you have to deal with You have to be able to, you can't quantify your results. You have to qualify them. So you're dealing with customer satisfaction. How satisfied are you with this building? How satisfied were you with the process? How well did it go? And those are things that you can't really attach numbers to, but you can describe them and uh, they can provide a lot of very useful data. I'm wrapping up a pilot study right now where I've been looking at that the difference in the understanding of roles between the architect, CM, and owner, and there's a real a real gap in the level of definition that you see between the owner and CM and the architect. I did some interviews and you know, I've done some analyzed some contracts, and the, the common theme is that there's a lot, a very high level of definition when it comes to the responsibilities of the construction manager and to the owner. But there's a very low, a much lower level of definition when it comes to the architect, you know, the design contracts. And I think that that has to do with 60 plus years of design, bid, build, construction. And they just we still haven't fully shifted the paradigm to where we've brought the architect and the builder into a level of parity.
0: That's really interesting stuff. Now, Nils, are you going to be publishing, tracking, writing about any of this publicly where some of our listeners can see this? Or will it be, I guess, at some point it'll be published, but...
1: I'll be publishing it. I also have a, uh, a blog where I'll be posting uh, my results as I'm doing my research. So, you know, if you're interested in, in following my research, it's uh, com, And uh, I'll be posting up probably once a week or so with the status of my research. I'm wrapping my pilot study up and hopefully here in about a week, I'll be able to have some of those results posted.
0: That's really interesting because I know that a lot of our listeners are going to want to get information on that relationship because it is an interesting relationship. And it is interesting that you're doing qualitative analysis. In fact, when we do training, management, leadership training for civil firms, we do an assessment to start. And it's funny because in our proposal, we typically give an option for the quantitative analysis. And then a second option where we interview like maybe five professionals that took the assessment to get some qualitative data. And I got to tell you more times than not, as as interesting as all the charts and the quantitative data are, the information that you get in the interviews and, and the quotes and some of the patterns that develop are extremely interesting in helping you to identify, you know, a challenge or leverage of strength. So definitely I think that that's going to be something that will really be interesting to dissect and we'll make sure we post it to Nils' blog here in the show notes and we can keep up with him on that. But what I do want to do Nils is jump back into your military career for a minute because I can certainly find construction engineers to interview in the podcast. It's not that easy to find construction engineers that have military experience and did this kind of work out there in what would be I'm sure the most challenging of sites out there that you could deal with. So Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to be a civil engineer in the military and in some of these sites, just because it's something that we don't hear a lot about?
1: One of the things that I learned as an Army engineer officer is there is no glory in construction. Your customer is the combat arms guys, you know, the infantrymen, the armored units, and they are really happy to see you come, and they will beat you up the entire way to get you done and get you off of their site. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's really hard work, but it's really satisfying. And I think one of the the biggest difference between tactical construction, military construction in theater and what you would find in industry is the constraints are completely different. And you have to learn to manage to constraints as opposed to uh, managing to, say, like the International Building Code or to a contract. I was the uh, the construction operations officer for the 864th Engineer Battalion during our deployment to Kandahar from 2010 to 2011. And we had about 900 or so engineers. We had the capacity to do building construction, uh, horizontal construction. We had a small concrete uh, batch plant. Uh, We also had our own survey design detachment. And I managed our surveyors and uh, the warrant officers and we actually completed about half a billion dollars of infrastructure work in about a year. And so 126 projects. So and you think about the timeline on it, we have to manage to those constraints. And the constraints are there's a mission that's going to get launched and you have to have a road in place. So you have to figure out what kind of road can I build in that time? And then you just constantly crashing your schedule, throwing resources at it. And the challenge really for us really was you know, resources. We had uh, issues with our electrical materials. So when we were building Ford operating bases, if we ordered, you know, wires and light switches and uh, you name it, we had a six month lead time on those. So there was no way that they were going to show up in time for us to build them. So instead, we had to go and we would work work deals with uh, the Navy units and the Air Force construction units who had significantly better logistics chains. And we would do stuff like we would set up a convoy and we'd drive their uh, equipment from one fob to another fob because they didn't have the capacity to do it. And they would give us a truckload, of 10-2 wire and (laughs) you name it. We were able to get all of our projects done, but it was really hard here. My soldiers, they were working seven days a week, anywhere from 14 to 18 hours a day. And you don't get breaks. You don't get time off. And stuff like sleep becomes a really important issue. For me, I didn't get a day off from my job until I, got, I came down with dysentery. And then my major said, you can go take a day for yourself.
0: I'm just thinking all you civil engineers out there that are worried about getting your uh, planning board application a day late, you're not dealing with stuff like uh, Nils was dealing with, which the thing about it too, is that what you mentioned, of course, the budgets and timelines and the constraints are very rigorous, but on top of all those things as well. You have, I'm sure, like the all these security, right? I mean, you're in the middle of who knows where and what can be out there. And in some cases, some sites may be, quote unquote, more secure than others. But I'm sure everything is always on the lookout.
1: We actually had one of our first missions in country. Uh, we got tasked to build a forward operating base, Fab Azizula. And it was out in uh, Zari district, just almost right on the way to, uh, Helmland. And, uh, my, one of our company commanders, a guy named Phil Ambrose, who works for Seattle power and light now, he took three platoons out there. And, uh, one of his platoons, which was, they were carpenters and masonry specialists and electricians and plumbers. They became the security platoon and they went out and they pulled guard, secured the fob and until they were, had the walls up. And, uh, it was, I think a month, Month and a half until they finally got a, an infantry platoon from Second uh, Brigade 101st to come over and let those guys actually go to work. So they were rotating in between swinging hammers and uh, pulling duty in the guard tower, running patrols, and all everything that kind of goes along with that. So security is, it was a really a really big concern, you know. And the, the thing that led us really made us successful is you know we were the only Army battalion in the Regional Command South. We had I think four Navy, CB battalions, and then we had two uh, Air Force construction battalions. But uh, the way we're organized in the Army is by the platoon. So each platoon, it has its organic weapon systems, uh, its organic trucks, equipment, everything is organic to that platoon. And it's led by a lieutenant who's a platoon leader. And you could send a platoon out to do a job, which is really different than the way that the Air Force and Navy organize their work. They, they're much more focused on like trades they'll they'll put together and they'll plan a team and they'll say, OK, we need, you know, four carpenters, three electricians, a plumber. We're going to put a chief in charge and these toolboxes and stick them on a helicopter and fly them out there to do a job. So for us, we would just say, OK, you know, Lieutenant Schmuckatella, you're going to go out there for the duration and do work and he'd salute. And they would put a convoy together and they would drive out. And uh, if things went south, you know, it's up to them.
0: Now, Nils, all of that experience, does it make your career here back in the U.S., I guess your civilian career, does it make it easier?
1: You know, in some ways it does, because when you deal with those kind of constraints, it gives you a really great perspective. So, I mean, for me, stuff that stresses a lot of people out doesn't stress me out because it just doesn't strike me as being that big of a deal. Now, I think one of the challenges is for veterans is when they come out is actually appreciating the concerns of your coworkers, even though they don't seem like they may be very important to you because, yeah, nobody's shooting at me. So, you know, big whoop. But they are important. And like I said, you know, when you're managing to your constraints, your constraints are time and security. Money doesn't matter. But you and I both know that it all comes down to money in construction. And if you don't have it, the project doesn't happen. So. It's been a learning, you know, kind of a learning uh, situation for me to be able to adjust my appreciation for what is isn't is, isn't important. But the thing that really that I see a big benefit is I don't mind working, What you'll find is a lot of officers that come out of the military and listed folks, they're used to taking initiative. They're used to staying until the job is done and they're really loyal to their employers and, uh, Those are all really big positives that you see within the veteran community.
0: We talked a little bit about construction engineering. We talked about uh, the ASC course that Nils is an instructor for, which I'll mention again at the end of the show. And we got a little bit into the military background and experience, which is really interesting to me. What we're going to do now is take a short break. We're going to come back with Nils and we're going to put him on the civil engineering hot seat. So stick around. Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: Civil Engineering Podcast.
0: All right, now it's time for our civil engineering hot seat segment, where I'm going to grill Nils a little bit with a couple of last questions around his professional development. Today's hot seat segment is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. Do you want to advance in your career, but not sure where to start? All of us have been there at one point. One surefire way to grow in your profession is to get your civil engineering license, the best place to gather info on civil licensure and pick from multiple review options is PPI2Pass.com. PPI has helped over 4 million engineers, including me, pass their licensure exam and become leaders in their fields. Visit PPI2Pass.com to learn how you can start preparing for your exam right away and take one step closer to career advancement. That's PPI, the number 2Pass.com. For a little extra encouragement, I have a 20% off promo code available to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code TCE8 on PPI's website for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that's promo code TCE and the number eight. All right. So once again, I'm talking with Nils Gransberg, who is a project manager in the University of Oklahoma's Capital Projects Program and also an adjunct professor in the College of Engineering. All right, Nils, welcome to the Civil Engineering Hot Seat. You ready to go? Yes, sir. All right, first question. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning ritual or lunchtime routine, something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success?
1: My rituals have actually changed a lot over the last few years, because when I was in the military, it was really straightforward. You're up at 5, 5.30, you go do PT, shower, and then off the job site. One of the things that I do every day, though, is I always make sure that I eat a good breakfast. And I find that if I try to rush out the door on an empty stomach, I have trouble focusing and I don't have nearly as good of a day. So the two things I would say is, you know, good night's rest and a good breakfast in the morning so that you're ready to go and you're not distracted when you show up to the office.
0: All right, next one. What is one book that you recommend to engineers regularly, or just one book that you have found to be extremely helpful in your professional or personal development?
1: I actually have two books, and these aren't engineering-related books, but I've found them really helpful in understanding people. And the first one is called American Nations by Colin Woodward, and it talks about the break, the I guess you could say the various sub- cultures within the United States and understanding how Americans are made up and what motivates people from different areas. And it really helps with understanding where they're coming from, what motivates them, what matters to them. And when you understand what people value, you're better able to find common ground with them. And when you're working in uh, engineering or construction, it's not for the faint of heart. So <laughs> being able to find common ground with people in uh contentious situations, it would be a pretty big feather in your hat. The other one is actually called uh, The Fourth Turning, and that's by Neil Strauss and William Howe. And it's a look at the history of the Anglo-American peoples and looking at the kind of cyclical nature of our history. And what I really enjoyed about that is that they identify what they call uh, generational archetypes. And I think this goes along in the same vein. It's, it's understanding sort of the, the generational archetypes of the people you work with helps you better understand how to deal with them. So like for, my, for instance, myself, I was born in 1980. I'm right at the tail end of Gen X, right at the start of the millennials. I'm kind of neither millennial nor Gen X, you know, and dealing with uh, older baby boomers. They have a completely different appreciation for authority, for power for their expectations in work than the folks that are my age or younger do. And being able to understand what motivates them really helps you be a better leader because you're able to motivate people to do what you need them to do uh, willingly. And I I mean, I think that's the essence of leadership. So those are two books that I've really enjoyed and I've gotten a lot out of. I I keep going back to the well on them uh, regularly.
0: That's great. We've done 110 of these episodes and we haven't had either one of those books. So that's always fun when we get new books and I'm definitely going to check those out. That sounds very interesting. And really, like you said, in our industry, construction and engineering, I mean, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, deal with people in different locations. And if you work at big companies, you work on teams with people in different locations and different value structures. So I could see how that could be very valuable. All right, Neil's next question. I got two left here. The next one is, Thinking of the managers you've had in your career, whether it was someone in the military that you reported to or someone as an engineer, if you think of your favorite or your best manager, and and you don't have to give specific names, but what was it that made that person such a great manager or a great person to report to?
1: The very best supervisor I had, the, the thing that made him so effective was he trusted his people and he delegated authority. One of the things that seems to be kind of a a recurrent theme with poor management is that you find that people who have trouble, like understanding what's really important, what really matters, tend to micromanage and because they're afraid of failing. But he was not afraid to fail. And when uh, things got tough and weren't going in our direction, he still stood there and fought for me and he fought for my peers. And so I think, you know, that trust is really essential. And if you want to be a good, manager, I mean, the thing you have to understand is you can't do it all yourself. You have to learn how to delegate authority, which means decision-making authority to your subordinates, give them enough rope to hang themselves with. And when they get to the edge, pull them back before they do it. But, uh, if you try to do everything on your own, you're going to kill yourself. I mean, you're going to have a heart attack. You're going to die young and you don't want to do that.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And it is definitely one of the challenges that engineering professionals face because we're so detail oriented and we usually come up through the ranks of project after project of calculation after calculation. When we get to that managerial position, it becomes very difficult to relinquish those duties. So it makes sense that you would find that as an effective trait in one of your best supervisors. All right, I've got one final question here, Nils. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and you had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, and you had to give him or her career advice in that short period of time, what would it be?:
1: Don't follow your passion. It's kind of countercultural, but the thing is, your passions change all the time. The things you're interested change all the time. I'm a tinker. I like making stuff. But you know, once I learn how to do something, I've learned how to do it. I want to go learn something else. My passions change, so instead of following your passion, like everybody says, go do something that's interesting to you. And your passion will come along as you learn how to do it. You know, I think that's the best advice I was given. I was a young engineer and it's continued to pay dividends because when I was 18 years old, I wanted to build robots. And I thought that was going to be the coolest thing since sliced bread. I was going to be, you know, Nils, the robot builder, but it didn't work out. And honestly, I'm glad I didn't, but I really enjoyed doing stuff with my hands And that experience in the Army as a bridge builder building bridges, it really, really lit a passion for me that came along with a lot of hard work and sweat. But I really love what I do now. And I wouldn't have done what I'm doing if I hadn't gotten that advice. So don't follow your passion. Find something interesting and let your passion for it grow.
0: All right. So once again, we're speaking with Nils Gransberg. Nils is the project manager at the University of Oklahoma's Capital Projects Unit and an adjunct professor in the College of Engineering. He is also an instructor for ASCE's Construction Engineering Certificate Program, and he's had, obviously, as you heard here, a very varied career through the military and through the university. So Nils, I just want to really thank you for spending some time with us. You're obviously a busy guy, you know, juggling a lot of things Could you give that website URL one more time of your blog?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's Grantsburg.oucreate.com.
0: Nils, thank you so much for being a guest on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Really appreciate it.
1: Anthony, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to get to talk to you and honor to be on your podcast.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Nils Gransberg. Again, Thanks to Nils for his service, and it was interesting having that conversation around some of the military versus civilian, and really just construction engineering is interesting in the different delivery processes, and I'm sure that's something we're going to be diving into more on this podcast in the future, and we'll definitely keep up with Nils on his blog. A couple of things I want to mention real quick as we wrap up here today. Firstly, we've been asked by many of our listeners to create an on-demand version of our popular engineering management accelerator online workshop, and we've done that. So if you go to engineer2manager.com and in the right column, you click the blue button there, which is the registration page for individuals, you will see now when you click register, there is an on-demand version. So we've made that available to you and we've already had people go through it. And it seems like the feedback we've gotten is very positive. So if that's something that's of interest to you, please, again, go to engineer2manager.com and just click on the blue button in the sidebar for the individual registration page, and there is an on-demand. Or you can join our next session, which starts on January 17th, and we'll also have one beyond that. So we'll continue to do the workshop, and I hope you'll join us. It has helped many engineers to develop their management skills in a big way. I also want to just congratulate one of our podcast guests, Will Schneer of Big Red Dog Engineering and Consulting. Will is one of the co-founders. He's been very friendly to both of our podcasts. He's come on both of them and they've been very popular episodes. Big Red Dog was just recently acquired by another firm, WGI, who's also had some people go through our accelerator program. So we know both companies, we want to congratulate both companies, and we're excited to watch them grow together. It looks like it's going to be a great marriage, and it's really going to help that company to grow. So we love seeing our guests grow and expand. And Will is really an entrepreneur, and he's very inspirational. So congrats to him and his co-founders. All right. So remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 109. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors.